Uh, Father, we agree with Justin's prayer tonight, and we thank you for just the promise that you said your house would be called a house of prayer. And we thank you that burdens are lifted at this place. We thank you that problems are resolved when we pray. Thank you that loads are lifted and, and, and hope is distilled again into our hearts. So we pray tonight in the strong name of Jesus that as we continue our look at hope, that uh, we would continue to grow strong in it. Faith, hope, and love, that's our atmosphere. Help us to excel in those things, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we've got three more Wednesday nights um, with, on hope. The last three, beginning tonight, uh, it kind of seemed like maybe a little nitty-gritty of um, not a broad look at hope, but some specifics. And the next three weeks, including tonight, two weeks after tonight, um, are going to seem kind of laser-focused on some things. But that's by design, um, because I want hope to be able to grow in us and be nourished in us. I want to talk to you tonight about things that nourish hope. Things that nourish hope. There are three or four things I want to say that are very easily misunderstood, so don't be watching the Waltons while we're going through this tonight, uh, uh, or you'll, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll miss the context of what I'm trying to say. I also feel it necessary for me to say I am committed fully to the idea that Jesus is healer. Um, I, I think uh, I told you one time about a, a, a tough place I was going through and, and um, you know, I said, I said, Lord, I just, I, I don't know how to handle this. I, I, I feel like you're not healing me. I'm asking for prayer and you're not healing me. And, and the Lord spoke to me while I was praying that morning and he said, what makes you think I'm not healing you? And I, I said, well, because of a couple of things in particular that, uh, that I, I mentioned, because if the Lord heals us, I don't think we ever need to engage in denying something. You know, uh, if you've got 104 temperature and big goobers are running out of your nose, I, I don't think you need to confess that you're not sick. I, I think you need to, to, to deal with the boogers is what I think, you know. <laughs> And, and I'm, I'm trying to be funny. I'm not mocking anyone. But I, 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 and I know, I also know there are times that we make a profession of faith because of what God has spoken to us, not because of what we see. I, I know that. I believe that. But uh, I was feeling like, Lord, I, I've been praying. I said, and there's, I forget now, it was two or three things that I'd been praying for specifically. And I said, um, you haven't dealt with that. And I said, I'm not angry at you. I just don't understand all that's going on. And I don't feel like I'm being healed. And then um, when I, he had said, what makes you think you're not being healed? And then he mentioned three things. Uh, I'm going to go back to this in just a few minutes. He said, if I had not healed you, your life would be radically different. Or uh, not, you wouldn't be alive at all. And he said, I heal and I've healed you miraculously. 
But there are some things about timing and there are some things about the nature of healing that you need to understand. That's what I'd like to talk about tonight. I want to read two stories that we always relate to faith, but it says a lot about hope as well. The first is Matthew 14 and then one in Matthew 16. The disciples are in a storm. Peter and the... Uh, his comrades see Jesus walking on the water. And Peter says this, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Now, I, you know, we tend to you know, old Peter, if he had just kept his eyes on Jesus, it's easy to tell people why they shouldn't have gone down, but we forget that they walked on the water and I've never done that. So I'm not in a position to blast fellow believers, um, for what I consider maybe to be their poor faith. Uh, two things Peter did well. And number one, he, he walked on the water. He did walk on the water and, um, he, he prayed an excellent prayer. You know, he, he said, you say an excellent prayer. It was three words, Lord save me. But yeah, look at that. He knew who he was praying to. He knew what he needed and he knew who needed it. You know, Lord save me. So he prayed an excellent prayer that worked. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Let me say this. When Jesus said, you of little faith, we seem to misunderstand. Sometimes Jesus talked about great faith uh, with, in three instances. He talked about having little faith in, a, in, a, in another, I think it was three instances. And we, because of the way we Pentecostals have been trained, we always consider great faith or little faith in terms of quantity. Great faith is this much faith. Little faith is this much faith. But the more I study it, and I know sometimes faith is quantitative, but I think that more often than not, faith is either great or little, not because of its amount, but because of its character. Um, great faith has the ability to transcend and grow. Little faith keeps our parameters in a box, so to speak. I don't think Jesus was saying, Peter, this is, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for not having more faith in this. I think Jesus was saying, Peter, you've got the right idea, but you've got to let faith expand what you see and what you experience. And um, the result was good. Peter was saved and the disciples said, truly, you are the son of God. We go on to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jesus, Jesus um, has just performed a mighty miracle. And the disciples, after having food provided miraculously, the disciples suddenly realized they forgot lunch. And they're talking about this. And Jesus' mind was going in another direction and he told them to beware of the leaven of unrighteousness. 
Well, they made the logical connection. They're saying this is just Jesus being spiritual again, telling us, talking about leaven, telling us we forgot bread. But it wasn't what was going on at all. Jesus, aware of this, aware of what they were saying, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or do you not yet understand? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the leaven, or excuse me, the leaven which is the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, and one of the other gospels also adds the leaven of Herod. Now, there are three words when we're talking about um, hope being nourished. The first word you see there on your notes is the word remember. Um, if we are going to nourish hope, and the same is true of faith and love, faith, hope, and love. But the application I want to make is for hope. The first word is remember. Jesus explained to the disciples that if we don't remember what he's done, if we don't remember what he's taught us, then we are going to have a tendency to misunderstand the new things that he shows us. The second word is the word understand. And he pointed out that this thing called hope, like faith and love, is a journey that you're on. And the necessity is not only that you remember what I've done, but that you understand what I've done. And the third word, I just use the word exercise. And by that, I mean spiritual muscle tone. And he said, if you're going to nourish faith, you've got to keep doing some things. You've got to keep your, your muscle tone up. Now, let's look at those three words and uh, we'll kind of work our way through this tonight. Justin, thank you for leading us in prayer. And we'll go right up or, or close to 830 and uh, um, then dismiss you to get the kids. Let's talk about this first word, remember. Um, I, I think there's probably... Um, few things that we've talked about uh, that are as important. I mean, I'm talking, I'm not talking about doctrine now. I'm talking about discipline as the idea of journaling. Um, I, I, I have a collection of things I've written through the years that I call my spiritual journeys. Uh, I want to tell you that the first 15 years is a collection of napkins, sugar packs, I'm serious, matchbook covers, just wherever I was, when I'd get a word, I'd grab something and I'd write it down. And I've got a, I've got a collection of, uh, you know, when I die, whoever goes through my stuff will say, oh, he forgot to take out the garbage here. And they'll probably trash it and throw away with it, you know, the secret formulas of the kingdom of God or something. I don't know. But, uh, but with time, I developed the habit of carrying a journal. Um, and a journal sometimes might last three months or six months. Now it's a part of my, my discipline, my devotional life. And um, now I, I get, uh, I, I just buy the, the little journals and it's just about 
precise. I'm within two or three pages every month of filling that little journal up, uh, the Moleskine journal. And um, I have one every month and it's pretty well full. And I've got a collection of a couple of shelves, three or four shelves, maybe four shelves of journals month by month by month. And I've learned the discipline of writing things down so I won't forget. So I won't forget. But I realized a while back, I told you in, about this in another message. I told you that uh, I realized that God would, God would speak stuff to me just about every day, either in my spirit or out of the word. And uh, I would, all of those journals have, you know, a, a number 31 pages for the days of the month. And then uh, I have maybe a dozen or so pages left for some of my prayers that I pray systematically. And um, I realized a few months ago that I was trying to remember a, a dream the Lord gave me and I started going through and I realized I have a problem. I don't remember this stuff. I look and I say, that is, that is important, but I do not remember this. I do not remember this. Um, and, you know, I, I was telling some of my friends about how 2020, you know, took, took me by surprise. I said, I've, I've talked about long emergency for a long time, but 2020 just took me by surprise. And then I was going through my journal. This, this is how it got started. Forgive my, my laborious story here. But I started going back and doing every month and I would summarize. I'd say, okay, I've got these 31 pages front and back. Of, uh, of notes and observations from scripture, things the Lord told me. But I started going and just summarizing. I would try on a couple of pages to say, the Lord spoke to me about these things. I wouldn't rewrite it. That would be just unnecessary. But I'd say during the month of March, 2018, God spoke to me about these dozen things. And I would highlight it. And when I went through um, 2019 journals, um, I got to the November journal. And when I looked at November and December, um, Ramona came home and I was, I was just trembling and crying. I said, he told me. And she said, he told you what? He, I, said, I said, here are, and I forget how many it was. I think it was 12 entries where the Lord told me what was going to happen in 2020. It's very plain. It, it, it's, it's exactly what happened. And the Lord told me. And she said, how, how did you forget that? And I said, I just thought he was talking about someday out in the future. I just, you know, I've talked about long emergency for years and I just figured this is something years down the road. But when I reread it, when I reread it, I, I, I trembled and I said, Lord, what have I done? You spoke to me about so many things and I just thought it was for off down the road. But when I read it in this context, you were very clearly talking about this year. Now, I'm not saying that to impress you saying, well, the Lord told me about 2020. I was so dense, I missed it. When you read the New Testament, there's a handful of places where Jesus tells the disciples, you know, something very, very specifically. And then in a few days, they have no concept of what he's talking about. Um, I, I, I am baffled at how they did not understand that he was going to be raised on the third day. He didn't talk to them in symbols and signs. He said, I'm going to be uh, crucified and I'm going to be raised on the third day. But they, 
they fought the battle. Well, you know, he's gone. He's never coming back. Or there were places where it says so-and-so happened, such-and-such happened, and then the disciples understood what he meant when he said da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I found that that's um, a characteristic that most of us share. And let me tell you what I think is important for us to do. Not only do we need to journal so that we remember what the Lord spoke to us, but we need to move to number two, and that is the idea of um, reviewing what he speaks to us in order that we understand what he's saying, in order that we understand what he's saying. Um, uh, last night, I, I told Ramona, I showed her a couple of things in my, in my um, December journal from 2019. I said, this is what the Lord spoke to me. And it happened, some very specific and very tragic things. The Lord said, you know, warn me about this. And I said, I missed it. It just went straight over my head. And uh, <laughs> I realized that when God speaks to us, we need to take it very seriously. We need to, to be able to remember it. Now, maybe you've just got a better memory than me. But we, then we need to set our hearts to understand it. That nourishes hope. This is what God showed me, and this is what it means. Um, it is so easy. Are, are, you, are you with me okay? I, I know this is kind of all over the place. Uh, and the good news is that all three weeks will be the same. So, I mean, it's, it, I looked at the notes and I thought, that I, I hope I can tie this together. Um, this, this idea of understanding, that it's the idea of a, of a journey. Um, we, we have a tendency, all of us do, if we, and by the way, I, I'll say it only for those that are listening online that might not be regular here. I understand that dreams and visions, words from the Lord, all of those things are legitimate. I believe they're for today, but none of those things ever even remotely compare with the word of God. I mean, you, you know that. I don't need to say that to you, but I'm saying it for those that may be new to the congregation. We, we think, uh, you know, we believe, I'm, everybody in here believes that God can speak through dreams and visions and all of that, but it's, it's sub, subservient to uh, the word of God. Uh, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He didn't say that about my words or your words, but he did say it uh, about his. But it's easy for us to misunderstand things along the way. I want to give you an example tonight, and, and I, I don't want you to get lost in the woods uh, of, of what I'm trying to say. But um, I think about Jesus and his life um, when he was here on earth, I think of the miracles that he did. And I think we Pentecostals, I really think we've made a mistake. I think there, there are two mistakes that have been made in regard to the miracles of Jesus. Um, the first one I think is probably more damaging. I think the first mistake is the idea that Jesus did miracles, but that was the end of miracles there. There are no more miracles today, or maybe the apostles did some miracles. But I, I want to tell you, if, if you study church history in every century from the birth of the church until now, 
Church history is loaded, it's loaded every century um, with the gifts of the Spirit, the miraculous healing power of God. Um, you know, I used to say, you know, as a, as a young Christian, well, the gifts ceased, but they started up again at Azusa Street. And that's not true. They did not cease. They've never ceased. They were just brought to the forefront again, and we let them happen at the Azusa Street Revival. Um, and the 20th century was, the, was a century of, of large-scale restoration of an awareness, but it wasn't a restoration of the gifts. They never stopped. They never ceased. And they always operated wherever people were willing for them to happen. That's the first mistake is people say, well, yeah, Jesus did miracles, but he was Jesus. Um, I think the other mistake is for us to mistake the miracles as the standard operating procedure for every situation. Now, don't misunderstand me. I know Jesus said, greater works than these shall you do. And, and he gave gifts of miracles to the apostles. You, you look at, and, and to his church. You look at the book of Acts, miracles continued. But I think, we, I think we have stepped a little bit out of bounds. And we have put, Pentecostal believers have put ourselves on a quest for more faith and more miracles. And we've, we've misunderstood the role that they play. Let me, let me explain. Jesus did the miracles that he did for a couple of reasons. And he did commission us to continue the miracles. But Jesus did what he did as a sign of his Messiahship. Um, I, I, I know some of you are going to kind of chap at that. But I, I want you to know... Jesus healed, not because everybody that's a Christian ought to, ought to heal. Jesus healed because he was Messiah. Those miracles were a sign. Now, we had the wondrous joy of being an instrument of God's purpose. He told the disciples to heal the sick, raise the dead, and he gives you know, the same gifts to the church. We believe that, but we, we don't perform miracles because Jesus performed miracles. Jesus performed miracles as evidence that he was Messiah, and we perform miracles when we do them as a sign of testimony to the grace of God and the role of Jesus in the church. We're not, we, we don't walk in the same anointing Jesus walked in. Uh, you say, well, I just believe we can. Well, it hasn't worked for 2,000 years. There hasn't been a period in church history where everybody was healed all the time. Now, Jesus was sometimes hindered in what he could do because of the unbelief of people. But Jesus batted a thousand. Oh, you, I mean, the worst, the worst thing you've got is a guy that had to be touched twice so he could see. But I consider that a bonus. Hey, I get Jesus touched me twice. It's like a fellow one time asked uh, uh, Jose Canseco for his autograph and Jose Canseco charged $10 and boy, he got really mad with him. He said, well, I, 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 here, I want you to give me a signed receipt that I paid for this. So we got two autographs for $10, you know, of uh, Jose Canseco. Um, no, I, I mean, Jesus is Lord over demons. He's Lord over life. He's Lord over death. Jesus is up here and everything we do flows from who Jesus is, but we're not on the same level as Jesus. And you're going to be, you're going to be frustrated until you come to terms with the fact that not everybody we pray for is healed 
And there is sickness that occurs among the people of God. Now, we don't accept that because we believe that everybody ought to be healed. We tell people if you're not healed, it's because you have a lack of faith or your confession's not right. But I want to tell you, we have put the church under unbearable pressure, especially in the Pentecostal movement, by making no allowance for somebody to bear a sickness unless there's sin in your life or unbelief in your life. Now, what we do need to understand is that miracles were done to prove the Messiahship of Jesus. And I'm going to say it one more time. I'll probably say it another time. I am not denying the ministry of healing. But I think we have tried to put on ourselves the pressure of producing what Jesus produced. And we don't have his anointing. Well... Justin, if you would, crank my truck up and just leave the keys in it. Now, I, I'm not telling you we got our heads wrapped around all of this because sometimes it was obvious Jesus was saying, do you have faith? And what he was saying is, do you believe I can do this? But I believe when you look at it contextually, when Jesus said, do you believe? It was not, do you believe you're going to get your miracle? I believe it was, do you believe I'm who I say I am? Do you believe that I have the power to do this? And you can make a case for everything Jesus did being out of the context, not of, do you have faith for your miracle, but do you believe who I am? Now, there, there, there are dynamics about it that we don't understand in the book of Acts. Um, uh, Peter, well and, well, and Paul, both of them had situations where they perceived that someone had faith to be healed. Now, we, we don't understand how all of that works, and we know that unbelief can hinder the move of God. But I think we need to understand that uh, uh, we have the, the joy of being an instrument of God's purpose. But there are, there are three things that I think we need to understand in regard to healing with this sense of God's timing. Number one, um, I don't have all of the answers, but there has never been a time in church history. There's never been a time in church history where everybody who was prayed for was healed without fail, except Jesus during the days of Jesus. You look at Paul and Paul's own life was marked by illness. Um, you say, no, not Paul, not the Paul I know. Well, yeah, the Paul that you know. He told the Galatians in chapter 4, he said, it was because of physical illness that I preached to you in the beginning. What scholars believe, knowing the churches he was writing to, Paul probably on the coast contracted malaria or something like it and went into the highlands of Asia Minor where you went to recover from uh, malaria. And, and related types of diseases. Paul said, I came to you not because my scouts went out and said there's faith for the, in the people of Galatia and we need to go there. Paul said, I needed to get rid of this sickness so I went to where you were. And he said, you did not look at my infirmity as something contemptuous. We don't know what it was, but he said this. He, he said, he, number one, he said, it, he said, when you didn't consider it something contemptuous, it either meant that they had been exposed to some kind of teaching that said, if you have faith, you're broken. I mean, if you don't have faith, you can be broken, you know, you can be sick. But probably what it meant is that um, one of the symptoms of 
some of the malarial related diseases, not all of them, was a, was a problem with the eyes. And it made you, this is awful, but it made your eyes swell and bulge, made pus run from your eyes. He said, you looked at me and didn't consider me contemptuous. He said this, he says, but I bear witness to you that you, if possible, would have pulled out your very own eyes and given them to me. I think what we've got with Paul is a situation where he said, I was, I came and I preached. He said, I squinted and I looked like Popeye. Well, maybe not Popeye, but he said, you, instead of regarding my infirmity as a flaw, you treated me like an angel of God and you would have done anything you could to help me through this affliction. He had a thorn in the flesh that we don't know what it was, but it, it is just as possible that it was a physical affliction as it was anything else. There's no reason to not think it could have been a physical affliction. Paul talks about his workers, a couple of workers that were sick. He said they nearly died. And he said one of them didn't want you to know he was sick because he didn't want you to worry about him. So even the right-hand men of Paul, as well as Paul themselves, suffered from physical affliction. You say, well, there's no record Jesus ever suffered from sickness. Uh, I, I, guys, we can't, I, I'm not trying to make an argument from silence, and I'm also trying to make this clear. I believe in healing, but Jesus is on a level altogether different from us. I mean, there are some things as Messiah. Now, he was, well, I'm in over my head. But I want you to know when we read the New Testament, we read the book of Acts, we read Paul's epistles, there were signs and wonders, miraculous things. Um, Paul, when he was making tents, they would take his work aprons. There was such an anointing on his life. They would take his work aprons from making tents and tear them up into pieces and give them to the sick and, the, and they would be healed. Um, it says in Ephesus that special miracles, special miracles, man, what is a special miracle as opposed to a regular miracle? I don't know. But there was such a grace on Paul that special miracles were done by Paul while he was there in that city. Um, there were some raised from the dead, but not everyone has been raised from the dead. That's prayed for. So there were signs and wonders. Um, there were situations where um, Peter had such an anointing on his life that even when people wanted to be prayed for by him or touched by him and Peter couldn't do it, he would walk by and their attitude and their faith level was, if his shadow can just fall on me, it produced healing. I don't have any problem with the church of Jesus Christ saying that shadows can heal and prayer cloths can heal and blind eyes can be opened and, and lame legs can walk. I don't have any problem with all, any of that. We know it's there. We know it happened. And that's why we pray for the sick. But we have to understand in our theology, what do we do with those who are not healed? Sometimes it might be because they don't have faith. Sometimes it might be because there's sin in their life. Or sometimes it might be the undiluted mystery of God where we do not know. You say, well, but God said, if, you know, if you'll obey me, I won't put any of the diseases that I put on the Egyptians on you. Yet when you read the Torah, there was provision for all kinds of disease and sickness. 
He said, when you're sick, you handle it this way. When it's this kind of sickness, you handle it that way. He wasn't saying, if you follow me, you'll never be sick. There was judgment on Egypt. And he said, if you will follow me, I will not curse you with the afflictions that I put on the Egyptians. But he didn't say you'll never be sick. Elisha, oh man, what an example. Elisha, the, the prophet of the double portion, and you're saying, Pastor, you're just mad because your eyes shut. No, I'm not. I've had to work through this over the years. And, and, and there are times that God did a, a, a creative miracles in my life and in my body. God, I believe I am alive today because of the miraculous healing power of the Lord. But there have also been times I've had to walk through this thing. And you've been the same way. Um, we, we need to come to grips with that. I've said before what I heard Jack Taylor say years ago, and I think Jack is right. We Pentecostals, and, and especially Charismatics, we don't have a theology of suffering. We don't know what to do with suffering. We don't know how to, we can't define, uh, many of us don't know how to define what was called the fellowship of his sufferings. And, and we, you know, I'm not saying God doesn't do anything anymore. He does more than we think he does. But what do we do when someone has to walk through the dark night of the soul? What do we do when faith seems to be shut down for the moment and we're walking in hope? That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Elisha, the prophet of the double portion, when you read about his life, you'll come to a little phrase there. And it says, it came to pass in the days when Elisha had the disease that he died from. When Elisha had the disease that he died from. That does not go with the other stuff in his life. Except this, there comes a time to die. Uh, Hezekiah is a good example. The prophet says, Hezekiah, set your house in order. You're going to, to die. And Hezekiah turns his face to the Lord and calls out to God and says, Lord, I've done my best to serve you. Won't you please reconsider this and heal me? And what did the prophet tell them to do? This is what God will do. And what I want you to do is get a poultice and put it on the wound that he has. In other words, he says, let's pray the prayer of faith and let's get this prescription filled. Are, are you with me? That's practical hope. Well, this is amazing. I'm just doing such a wonderful job, but I, I need to, I need to move on. We, we also need to rediscover that everything Jesus did, he did nothing unless he saw or heard the father instruct him to do it. Um, you know, I, I used to say this and I'm embarrassed to say it, but I'd say, Lord, if you'll just give me the gift of healing, Lord, I promise you, I'll go to the hospital and I'll start on the top floor and I'll work my way from the top floor down to the bottom. And everybody in there will know that Jesus is healer. If you'll just give me the gift of healing. And that was the number one reason why he didn't give me the gift of healing. Cause that's exactly what I would do. And God's purposes are not like putting a quarter in a candy machine there's father's heart that knows the end from the beginning and knows what needs to be done. Um, uh, I've, I'm going to steer clear of that because this, this is going to be online and somebody might be able to piece together who I'm talking about. It's nobody here. It's someone at another church that I pastor. So I'm just going to leave that one alone. But the, the, the thing that cinches it for me is this. 
Jesus healed as the Father gave him direction. Jesus healed because he was Messiah. Why do we heal? You say, well, Jesus tells us to heal. That's right. But when you look at the book of Corinthians, when you look at the New Testament, he says there are gifts of, of healings and gifts of miracles. But he says this, they are gifts of the Holy Spirit, not the divine right of kings. You don't have the right to just go and pronounce healing. But when the Spirit, you can't give a message in tongues without the direction of, of the Holy Spirit. You can't have a word of wisdom or knowledge without the direction of the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand God set it up with all of the wondrous power that he made available to the church. We can't heal the sick unless the Holy Spirit moves through the gift of healing or God does a sovereign work in our midst. So healing and miracles operate as a gift of the Holy Spirit administered by him. Now let's go to the third thing. Okay. The first word we've got to remember, we need we, God. I, I believe that God wants to do more for us than we're seeing. And in spite of what I've said tonight, I believe God wants to do greater miracles than we've ever seen and more miracles than we've ever seen. I believe there are people that carry sickness that we I think we shouldn't have to carry that sickness. I think there's healing if we would just press in. But that's not a, that's not a rule. Um, we've got to remember what God says, and then we need to be very diligent to understand it. I've said before, talking about prophecy, hearing God is the easy part. It, it, you know, I think the youngest Christians say, I feel like the Lord spoke this to my heart. That, I don't doubt it. That's the easy part. The easy part is hearing. The difficult part is understanding and knowing when to share it or if you should share it at all. Um, there's, this, um, there's this idea of understanding, okay? The third word is the exercise, spiritual muscle tone. Um, you say, what do you mean by that? Since we don't know what God is going to do in every situation, I think we need to keep leaning into the miraculous. Expect God to heal. You say, well, what if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed? Well, then pray for the next one. Um, we, we, we need to be careful throwing the words around and throwing our declarations around we, we need to pray. That's why everybody that is sick, everybody that is sick, I pray for healing. Because if God wants to heal them, I want us to pray that over them. But sometimes with the passing of time, I'll realize that we need to pray for grace to go through the difficulty or for healing in the recovery. Sometimes they're like Hezekiah. We need, we need medicine, but we also need the touch of God. Um, so keep your spiritual muscle tone intact. That means keep on asking. Don't fall into the trap of saying, well, if God wants to heal him, he'll heal him. No, maybe God wants you to be an instrument of healing power to them. Keep asking, ask, seek, and knock. I remember in uh, Peoria, I, I, we had a precious family, uh, just a sweet family. And um, the little girl had a, a, a tumor and um, if I'm remembering correctly, it's, it's been a long time. I've, it's probably been close to 30 years. But it, her neck was swollen way out like this. She's just a precious little doll. Her mom and dad were just such sweet people. And um, 
I went up, got up early that morning, went to the hospital. And uh, I, I remember praying for her. And when I walked in, she said, Pastor Chitty, she said, Jesus came to me this morning. I said, really? And she said, he said he's going to heal me. And now, great man of faith and power. My heart sank because I said, she's going to be so disappointed. You know, this little girl thinks Jesus came to her and said that he's going to heal her. And the reason I was disappointed is I looked, she, she looked horrible. And uh, I said, well, praise God, he's able, he's healer. And I gave her all the preacher talk I could come up with without risking any kind of faith. And uh, her mama was crying because she was so afraid that her little girl's faith was going to be dashed. And I said, well, sweetheart, let me pray with you. They're coming to take you down to surgery. Let me pray with you. And she said, I want you to pray, but it's going to be okay because Jesus told me he was going to heal me. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm crying and everybody thinks I'm so in love with Jesus. I just don't believe, you know. And uh, I prayed for her. I prayed for God to heal her. And on her way down, she said, I'll be right back. And when she said, I'll be right back, she had this thing sticking out of her neck like that. And I'm, I, I could have sworn it grew during the time I was praying for it, you know. And uh, I was just, I, I, I was really hurting for this little sweet girl. She was gone, oh, I'm, I'm guessing probably 15, 20 minutes, uh, maybe a little longer than that, maybe a half hour. Because I remember thinking, well, they probably ought to be putting her under now. And, and uh, they had given her the shot, you know, and she was already beginning to be a little hazy. And they brought her back up. They brought her back up probably within 30, 40 minutes. It was supposed to be a, uh, maybe a couple hour surgery. And I thought, oh God, it, they looked at it and gave up on it. It's, it's killing her and she's not going to live. That was my thought. Great man of faith and power. And uh, I think this has only happened twice in my life. The doctor came in and he said, I don't understand he said, I know the tumor was there. I looked at it as she was brought into the room. He said, when we got everything and started to put her under, the tumor was gone. He said, it was totally gone. We pulled the thing back. It was gone. He said, we did, I forgot what kind of tests and took some kind of pictures. He said, it is gone. And the, the, the daddy said, well, what do we do? He said, I don't know. He said, there's nothing to treat. There's nothing to do. He said, I consulted the head of our department and he said, well, I think you need to send her home. And she kind of stirred and I looked at her. I said, you were right. Jesus healed you. And she just, <laughs> loved ones, I know sometimes things depend on our faith, but sometimes God does things not because of our faith, but in spite of our unbelief. And that little girl, it, 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 the last I heard, she's, you know, a young lady and a mother herself now. Um, so what we do is we keep on asking. We may not have a clear word from the Lord. You say, well, what if, what if the father doesn't tell you that he's going to heal this person? Well, we know that he's a healer. 
and we ask him to do it. And then it's his choice to decide what to do. So we keep on asking, ask, seek, and knock. Those are present active participles. You keep on doing it. You keep on asking, you keep on seeking, you keep on knocking. And number two, I, I like that, keep preaching for the master, but it's a typo. It should be keep, keep reaching for the master. Just, just keep reaching. You know, there are times God is doing something to build something in you that you may not realize. And um, Lord Jesus, please heal my daughter. And Jesus said, well, I'm sent to the uh, house of Israel, uh, not to the Gentiles. Now, Jesus will sometimes seem unavailable because he is really stretching us. And you know what she did? She could, he said, it's not fit to give the children's bread to the dogs. Uh, if she had been like most of us, she would have been offended that Jesus called her a dog. Even though he didn't, that's, that's all she would have heard. He called me a dog. But she said, you know, you know what she did when he kind of pushed her back? I mean, with his words, she just pressed in closer and said, but even dogs get to eat crumbs that, that fall from the master's table. She said, I may be a dog, we may be Gentiles, but Lord, you even, even a dog gets to eat the crumbs that fall. And Jesus said, oh, that's what I'm after. That's what I'm after. So she kept reaching into the master. And I think we need to keep reaching into the master. And the final thing is just keep pushing forward. Make, make holy assumptions. I, I don't I, I don't know that any of us know the mind of Christ. And I don't think it's a cut and dried thing where, oh, well, it's God's will to heal or it's not God's will to heal. I'm saying God has a purpose that is not definable by asking a question. Is it your will or is it not your will? Um, we want God's will to be done, but that doesn't mean that his will, if it goes this way, is a no it just means we're taking another path. And it takes a mature Christian to understand that. So we keep making those holy assumptions. We keep, we keep pressing into that. You say, well, pastor, how do, how do, what do I do then? Well, it, we're talking about healing because we're using healing as an example. But it could be true of finances. It could be true of relationships. Um, healing your marriage or healing your home, uh, reclaiming a, a, a child that's wayward. Um, but going back to sickness as the example, when I, when I find myself ill, the first thing I do, the first thing I do is I ask the question, is this from a spiritual cause or is this because I'm in a broken world? Am, am I sick because... Um, I've not taken care of myself or am I sick because there's a virus that's going around? Uh, I know the first Sunday we came back together after, uh, you know, being shut down with COVID. I didn't wear a mask uh, for the first couple of weeks, two or three weeks. I didn't wear a mask. It's not because I don't like wearing masks, you know, uh, at all. And I've, I've just, I've just got enough, you know, American in me that I don't like being told by the government what to do. I mean, even if they're right, I don't like it, you know, but I, I didn't wear a mask and I, and it wasn't because of rebellion. It was just, well, you know, God's bigger than the virus and God's able. And, um, um, 
then I was out for three and a half weeks because I contracted the virus. And uh, I, I, I caught myself asking, you know, Lord, was I arrogant? Was I presumptuous? Should I have worn the mask? And then people that wore the mask were sick. I still don't know the answer. I still don't know the answer. But I know this, we were being taught a lesson about preferring one another and honoring one another and caring one another. And as a church, I think we did like most churches, we forced our opinion on others. I praise God, I'm not going to wear a mask. Well, I wonder how many people were sick because you didn't wear a mask. I mean, that's what I wondered. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I, I have learned that some sickness is because of an attack from the enemy. I have also learned that some sickness is because we are broken people in a broken world. I, I've learned that. But I asked the Lord, Father, is this an attack? Because if this is an attack from the devil, I'm going to treat it differently than I am a bug that I contracted from, you know, a kid in the neighborhood. Um, and if I feel like I'm under attack, I will pray differently than if I feel I've just, you know, if, you know what I found as I get older, if I get run down, I'm more prone to get sick. Uh, sleep is a lot holier than I ever thought it was. It's a lot more important than I ever thought it was. But what I'm saying is whether I feel like I'm under attack or whether I feel like it's just I'm a broken man in a broken world or whether I haven't taken care of my body, I still am going to ask the Lord for his miraculous intervention. I may still take a, a, a pill. I may still take medicine. But I realize that even if I take a pill or I take medicine, it's the Lord who is the healer. I think of Hezekiah. Lord, touch me and extend my life and I'll take the medicine. And I think that that balance is something that faith may cause us to run away from, but hope anchors us down to it. Now, it's true whether we're talking, oh, we got to stop. I'm sorry. Um, it's true whether we're talking about sickness or whether we're talking about financial issues or whether we're talking about um, a, a broken home or broken relationships or trouble at work. All of this, um, we, we need to avoid the naivete of saying, well, this is just an attack from the enemy. Uh, we do get attacked from the enemy. I know what it's like to be attacked by the enemy. Um, but I also know what it's like to take NyQuil and sleep a couple hours the next morning and be better. I've often said that a lot of, a lot of credence can be given to pastors learning the great lesson of the value of a fried piece of fried chicken and a good night's sleep. You know, a lot of, a lot of satanic attack dropped off with a good meal and a good night's sleep. That was the lesson with Elijah. Um, the Lord, here was this man used to the miraculous and he has the earthquake. He has the fire. He has the wind. And nothing wrong with any of those things. God can work in all of those things. But what Elijah needed was three things. He needed a good night's sleep. He needed a good meal that would refresh and rekindle. And he needed to hear the still small voice. And that was God's prescription. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is shut up and go to bed. 
I mean, really. Uh, I, I remember I hurt my wife's feelings one time. I wish it was the only time I'd hurt her feelings. But I, I said something that was insensitive. I mean, it wasn't mean. It was just everybody was picking on me. I just needed somebody to pick on, you know. And my wife is, is I think, the most patient person that God ever made. And she just let me vent. She looked at me and she said, go in that room and go to bed. She said, just go to sleep and don't get up till you've slept this meanness off. <laughs> in the middle of the night, I woke up and I reached over. I said, sweetie, I'm so sorry. I said, I, 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 I don't know what I was thinking. She said, well, I know what you were thinking. We've been at that time. She said, we've been married 20 years. I know what you were thinking. She said, that's just the, the, my, my burden to bear being married to a chitty. I just, I understand it. You know, I know it. And she gave me a hug and gave me a kiss and said, now go on to sleep. It's going to be better in the morning. And she was right. Sometimes the best thing we can do is get our body back in perspective to rest and nourishment. Um, what I'm after and what I'm trying to communicate with hope as we move into the last two sessions, we'll kind of tie the loose ends together. But hope brings balance to your life that faith may not bring to your life. Faith always pushes you off the ledge, I mean, in a good way to expect, and there's nothing wrong with that, but faith is always pushing you. Faith is always challenging you. But sometimes we just need hope to just settle down and let God bring the balance that we need. Father, I ask if there's anyone here that does not know you that they would get with us tonight before they leave and make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. When this comes out tomorrow and people watch it online, we pray that you would help us to understand the great balance of nourishing hope. Father, help us to build up our spiritual muscle tone. Help us, Father, to remember what you've said and help us to take the extra time to understand it, to understand it. Lord, we can have a clear word of prophecy and it actually be counterproductive because we don't wait long enough to understand it. So do your incredible work in us. Help us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and help us to learn what we talked about in that first lesson. Three great things abide faith, hope, and love. Help us, Father. And anybody watching online, if they don't know Jesus, Lord, let them contact the church. We'd love to pray with them. We'd love to introduce them to the resurrected Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.